Welcome back to the Content That Grows. Uh, this week, we're talking about uh, 10 content marketing mistakes that you know we run into kind of most frequently when we're kind of interacting with SaaS startups or things we hear from other consultants about like what they're running into when they're talking to these content teams. Um, and joining me again, as always, is Nate. How's it going, Nate? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Uh, nice. Yeah, this, I'm excited to chat through this. You know, we had the opportunity to work with a lot of folks and obviously chat with a lot of companies as well, sort of in the, the process of uh, identifying, you know, folks would be a good fit for a new client. And so come across this. And then, yeah, we've also had some experience with consulting um, and then just, you know, a lot of relationships with con in-house content marketers and stuff as well. So all kinds of, of sources that have kind of led up to, to us building this list that we're going to talk through today. Yeah. So let's jump right in. Um, okay. So point number one that we listed out was kind of, you know, starting a content program really fast and you're excited. Um, and we totally get that. But uh, oftentimes we see kind of teams that don't really have an understanding of where they're going um, with the content program early on. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on that or like what you've seen with that. And then I'll chime in. Yeah, I mean, I think for anyone, <clears throat> you can't let um, not having this big, perfect strategy stand in your way of getting started. So I think it's inevitable that people do get started. It's just, uh, I think when folks kind of get into that pattern or get some momentum uh, and they just kind of keep going and, and you, we, we, I think the thing I hear from people is like, like, well, we get, you know, roadmap ideas from everyone. Like uh, teams will tell us stuff they want us to write about and the CEO has ideas and we'll look at some stuff and it just, it's very ad hoc and just sort of like, gets into this pattern of almost like crowdsourcing, but not in like a structured way um, to where uh, there's not really any clear path. There's no uh, understanding of topic clusters they want to build. There's no you know, laddering up into ICP pain points or, you know, any sort of like product pillars. It's just sort of all over the place. So um, yeah, I would agree. That's, that's definitely a, a big one that, that, uh, that we see. Yeah. I think, um, from my perspective, especially agency side, like what this tends to do is like, like I mean, we obviously like moving at a pace and creating consistently, um, especially mm -hmm. within the SEO space. But a lot of times, you know, we can step into working with an in-house team and it becomes this like pain point for both of us that we don't have these agreed upon almost like KPIs or goals or like thing that we're building upon to start. Um, yeah. And sometimes you can feel the really like the good intentions of of that in-house team being like, we'll figure it out as we go. We kind of want to see some of this data play out, but then we don't get it. And it's like time to re-up and like no one really knows how to like evaluate us in some ways. Um, and so all we have to go on is like, it was really nice working with you. We thought you were super insightful, but it doesn't like ladder up to the C-suite in some way where we can like, make the case for like, no, we're, we're building something that's very valuable to you. Um, yeah. and that often comes from like some type of goal that we can keep showing, like we're, we're hitting your goals with you. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
And then I think number two, this just makes sense. is like the inverse of problem number one, right? Like some yeah. people are like, oh, I'm all about speed. And then there's the other side, which is like teams that are focused so much on planning that you just end up moving way too slow to get results. Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of accidentally said that, I guess, in, in the first, but, um, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of that that we've seen as well, where there's many, many cooks in the kitchen and this, this desire to have like this fully baked strategy, like everything, like, you know, all the way down to, you know, somebody sort of nitpicking on like, well, should this topic be in there? You know, and it's like, all of that is just holding up getting started. And so I, you know, obviously we're alluding to, there's a, a balance that's needed of like, um, moving and getting stuff going and learning from that, but also having a, a pretty clear direction of, of where you're headed. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely see that in, in, you know, may have some folks listening that are, you know, either have experienced that or are in the middle of that right now, where it's just, um, there's just way too much buy-in and, and approvals and everything to even like get started. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel this sometimes, um, there's like another part of moving slow, right? Where there's like the pros and cons to how much data comes in and how you can make decisions for moving too slow. You don't have enough, et cetera. Uh, but I also, it, whenever I catch myself moving too slow and I'm like sitting in a strategy, cause I'm just not convinced of like the motion quite yet, um, mm -hmm. that there's like, there's too much room for me to then just pivot. Like I never fully execute that idea or strategy and I'm leaving myself too much room around yeah. that planning versus the execution side. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because it, yeah, like I said, it's just that sort of that delicate balance. Um, and if you had a little bit tighter guardrails, then you're not going to be able to, to pivot as much and just have to get going on it. Yeah. And it feels good to going on it you know to like absolutely have a thing that you're distributing and like a, a repetitive thing that you understand you'll be doing each day or a couple times a week um i think just yeah yeah adds to your own productivity yeah uh number three is is a big one but um hiring your first content manager who doesn't fit the company's needs yeah yeah and i think i think there's two parts to this one is um there there needs to be someone especially in the earlier stages um there needs to be someone who can not just have the strategy but execute um you know not like you don't want to have someone from some big brand and it seems really prestigious but they all they did was you know manage a 25 person team and don't actually understand how to do any of the work themselves. Um, and the inverse is true. Like if you're a big company, like you can't just get a scrappy, uh, person who's, you know, uh, individual contributor and doesn't know how to lead a large function. So I think there's, there's both sides of that. Uh, but we probably deal much more with the early stage company. And then I think for me, the even bigger one is, is skill set, And this is something I worked a lot when I was consulting sort of at like the overall head of marketing type of role. It's just helping companies figure out, you know, what is the path forward? What are the channels that work and what are the skill sets that you need 
uh, in your marketing leader to kind of fit this well and, and have the right experience to to nurture it and grow it. And the same is true for content. You know, you you have to bring somebody in who's like awesome at video and motion graphics, but all you need is written content. You're in rough shape. Uh, you know, so content again, we always talk about is like such a broad, um, a broad umbrella, and there's so many things that go into content marketing. And so, just because they, you know, were a great content marketer at a big brand or um, you know, ran part, you know, part of a great program doesn't mean that they have the skill sets that fit what your company needs at this stage. So you need the right skills and the right, you know, experience with the content formats and distribution for it to really be impactful. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I tend to always focus on the smaller, scrappier teams and just thinking about like <laughs> how much work really goes into that first content marketing position. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just end up, you're, I mean, you're almost, because your team's small anyway, so you've probably got another, like, marketing lead before you hire your first content marketer. But, like, you're going to be sharing so much of the workload and, like, building forms and connecting those into HubSpot and organizing, you know, on whatever automation software and hiring writers and there's all these things that you're just going to be so active in that role doing. Uh, so to your point, like if if the mismatch is there and you hire someone who's like much later in their career and they, they, they're past it, right. They're not, they don't really want to be at a startup. Maybe it's like misaligned, but the salary was good. Um, right. That they're like, I don't, I don't want to build a team anymore. I just want to manage a team. Well, it's not right for us. Yep. Totally. Um, another one, uh, creating content uh, with a single distribution channel in mind. Um, I think for me, when I think about this, I, I see this a lot now. Um, and people sort of use this as like a preface to uh, how do you market during a recession? Uh, <laughs> But I don't think this was ever like a recession problem. It was just like an efficient way of doing marketing and also a way to make sure you said the same thing many, many times so that many, many people heard it. Yeah. Um, so like when, if you're a small team or your budget was small, you were and you've seen success, like you were always doing this, right? Like you were figuring out how to distribute your content via multiple things. So it's like your SEO article is informational and built with SME so that you can also take parts of it and share it on social and email it out or start new conversations by folding it and cutting it up in different ways or, you know, teasing out things. Um, Yeah. Curious your thoughts. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I know I've mentioned before that I do still run into folks quite often that are, had this mindset of, you know, SEO content is just for search engines and, you know, talking about sort of hiding it into a part of the site and and whatnot. So, I mean, that still exists today. And so that's a great example of we're, we're exclusively creating this for one distribution channel, the distribu- distribution channel being organic search. Um, but I do think that a lot of folks have sort of come around on, you know, the podcast is not just the podcast to get listeners. It is um, certainly the full length, but you get video, you have full length and clips that are on YouTube, you have stuff to share on social, 
Uh, you can promote that in your newsletter. There are you know, a lot of different things that um, a single podcast can do. For example, you know, the, obviously blog content um, you know, becomes great content for sales enablement, newsletter, like all things we've discussed before, I think. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the challenge is just, uh, I think, probably more so the internally, I think you can kind of get into silos where, if you're not just like a one or two person marketing team, but you're starting to get a bit bigger, that's where you can start to kind of have some specialization. And the trap there can be that this person is the blog content creator and all they think about is, you know, organic distribution. And then this person is social content creator and all they think about is social and uh, you get into those silos and, and you do start to have content being created with one in mind. Uh, I think it's probably more often where we'd see that trap versus uh, really early on in a company. Sure. How do you see teams not fall into that trap? Um, I mean, I think some of it is uh, intentionality with both like leadership and operators to, to recognize that um, if you're going to put in the time and effort to create something, you need to get more out of it than just, you could ultimately be creating the same content three or four times in, you know, just to try to get it for different channels. Um, and so that just requires, you know, being intentional about it. And then I think, um, you know, whether you call it like a, uh, cross-functional meeting or, you know, guild or any, any sort of, uh, terminology you want to put on it, like, anyone who's creating content, make sure that they're meeting on a regular basis, sharing insights, like aligning, you know, plans and talking about how to, to leverage what each other's doing, like all that type of stuff, uh, I think can really go a long way in, in preventing it. Sure. Makes sense. Um, okay. Number five, uh, I see this. I think I especially felt this more as, as teams moved remote, uh, especially if you were remote and you function mostly in like the digital content space, which is like the top the content department starts creating content from this sort of safety intuition bubble rather than like mm -hmm. reaching out and actually like getting the resources and the information they need, um, so I'd love to hear your experience on some of that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think everyone can can fall prey to this, where it's just like there you get going for a while, and you get an, an idea of how things are, and um, you know, what sort of talk tracks work and, and all these things. And you just sort of get set in that and you're like, I know it. I know that, you know, this is important. I know that this is, you know, a, an important feature for people. I know that this is, you know, a, a segment or a use case that works really well. Um, and, you know, if you're not intentional about, about really staying on that and continuing to talk to customers and, you know, on researching and, and understanding, um, you know, more, I think that, that, uh, becomes an issue for anyone, you know, and it, you know, for me, like I didn't try to set up 
customer calls per se, you know, towards the end of my eight and a half years at Sprout. But uh, just because, you know, as a company gets bigger, you start to run into a lot of challenges where, you know, customer, customer success wants their time, product team sometimes wants impact, input on roadmap. Um, you have growth AEs trying to, you know, expand an account. There's a lot of people hitting them up. You don't want to be like too demanding of their time. Um, mm -hmm. but what became really effective was like, you know, gong, you know, was rolled out across sales and, um, customer success. And so, you know, as a marketer, you're just able to pop in and listen to a few calls a week, you know, across some of those. and just continue to kind of stay fresh on like, what are people actually saying? What are they actually doing? How are they actually using it? You know? Um, and so I think, yes, to go back to the point, um, creating content becomes a, an output of, of that trap, you know, where you're really saying, I know this, I know what they need. I know what they want. And, um, the challenge is that over time that maybe you're spending time creating content that you think is great but maybe kind of hits the mark for your customer or your prospect. Uh, but things have changed a little bit and it just quite, isn't quite, um, as impactful as it could be. For sure. I think we've talked about this before, but I think it's especially, uh, it's an especially easy trap to fall into if you're similar to us where you're like marketers marketing to other marketers. <laughs> so, yeah, you're like, totally. Oh, I know what your job is and like where your pain is. Um, yeah. And then we simplify those buckets. So like, I feel like every marketer I see marketing is like, we'll help you get leads. We'll help you get pipeline. We'll help you get revenue. And we like simplify it into your like biggest problems. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, we, our software, whether it's like fireflies or something else where I can pop in and like see the transcripts or what's being talked about. And you start to get into more nuance, like, oh, they've got a hiring problem or they've got, you know. Uh, they're using yeah. Webflow. I, I never, I didn't realize that that was going to be a problem for them. Uh, yep. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, here's another one. I think, uh, maybe more an early on content marketer hurdle, but, um, uh, I think forgetting about service and product focused content can sometimes happen because it's not the flashiest or sometimes uh, it even took me a second, I think, in my career to realize that this was content uh, mm -hmm. and was needed. Um, and do you want to give examples of what you mean by yeah? So like service and product focus. Like content? A, what we usually see, right? And like we're very much exposed to wherever we are in the marketing world is like kind of this entertainment mixed with like edutainment content. It's like blogs and articles. Uh, things like this, where it's podcast video, um, yeah. where we're, we're like reaching out, but then like things that I think are sometimes forgotten or a part of our leaky buckets are like case studies, um, or like your specific service and strategy framework download that you might offer on your homepage, um, or, you know, different sales enablement pieces, um, to some extent, even like knowledge base information or internal documentation of processes are all like super valuable content assets that sometimes I think are just forgotten about if you haven't like been practicing for a while or, or maybe you're yeah. the first content marketer 
uh, and you haven't played the role of first content marketer before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we, if we say we kind of narrow in on like seed and series a, um, you know, I think again, a lot of this comes down to, um, balance. And like, if you're just a solo content marketer, kind of trying to span everything, um, I mean, that's one, that's a big reason why, uh, we get brought in for a lot of folks is just knowing sort of the extent of what goes into, you know, building a strategy, like an ongoing basis, identifying the right topics, creating the content, like everything else that kind of goes with that ends up being a pretty big chunk of time. And if you're only doing that in-house, then you have a lot less time to do some things that are potentially harder to outsource with case studies and, uh, thought or, um, sales enablement content, stuff like that. And so that is one use case where we free up time. And the, the thing is that it is about balance because you have to, um, kind of understand like, okay, well I need to keep creating content or, you know, we have goals to hit. We have to kind of like keep showing traction, but I also do need to like spend the time to create a case study because I know that will benefit both marketing and sales. And, you know, and then sales enablement sort of needs a, a deck or a leave behind or something that they can share. And so it is kind of trying to sprinkle in a little bit. If you are truly doing everything on your own, um, you know, you're trying to sprinkle that in and get this established. So the case study is there, you know, for the next few months while you build some content and then kind of shift your focus and build a new sales deck or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It, there's a lot to it. Um, and you can't just completely go heads down in one area because you do need to keep growing, but you do also need those, those important areas, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And you run the risk, um, of like running that more outward facing content, getting people on your website, feeling really good about that, but then just yeah. like having like not having the right positioning and pages or the rest of your nurture experience. Yeah. It's a really close deal. So it's like just missed opportunities. Yeah. And that's when you notice yeah. like, Oh, the brand is growing. This is good. <laughs> but we noticed yeah. that pipeline isn't. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is another one. Uh, number seven, uh, that I think like we're familiar with because we are an outsourced solution, but, um, when, when in-house teams kind of outsource solely for the reason to like cut execution time in costs, um, that can be problematic if not just entirely like misunder like a misunderstanding of how it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think of outsourcing as being very similar to, um, bringing on, uh, you know, new person. So if you like, say you manage a team of three people and you, you're still doing a lot of work yourself and you get to hire a fourth person, you understand as you, after you've been doing that for a while that like, you don't get a hundred percent of your time back when you hire someone to do that. You maybe get 80, 70, 80% of your time back. Um, but then there's still the time to manage them, guide, give feedback, like all that stuff. And so I think it's very similar, you know, when outsourcing to anyone, an agency or a contractor or anything, like your expectation can't be, 
that you're getting 100% of your time back. You're just going to like put it on autopilot and and do it. Um, no matter how good the agency is, like you have to give input. You have to keep them aligned with everything else that's going on internally, um, you know, give feedback and, and all that. So I think, um, you know, like you said, I think when you're just, if you're just outsourcing to, to save time and money, um, then you're just basically signing up for inferior work. Um, because you're gonna, you're gonna end up hiring a lot cheaper, uh, and getting a lower quality there. And you're going to, um, not be giving them the, the input and the time they need to, to create good work. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely a mistake. I probably don't, I don't, you know, of all the ones on the list, I probably don't run into that one as much myself, but, mm -hmm. uh, I definitely know that it's an issue for some folks. They just, they want the cheapest, easiest, fastest thing they could find. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When I think of outsourcing, especially when I think of like plugging in to a agency like ours, I tend to think of us as like, we're going to get you additional bandwidth and expertise. Like yeah. you may not have someone in house who understands the ins and outs of search engine optimization, but you might have a content marketer. And like, so we're going to build out and help you with that part of the expertise. And then if yeah. you want us to help create content, like we're offering you additional bandwidth, right? Here's like three or four more people than that you didn't have before. Um, yeah. So your output will be greater. And yeah. I think especially to like build on something you said earlier, there's like, I think you really have to look at outsourcing and the amount of time you'll save doing it is like dependent on like your quality standards and the type of content you want to produce. Um, so yeah. when people come in and they really sincerely do want thought leadership content, um, well, that's hard, right? Like it, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it requires you to like educate, whether it's just a writer or it's an agency, like they have to have enough information to act and think as though they're you. Um, and that's why, I, that's why I know, uh, like we don't exclusively do like just thought leadership, um, content, but you know, for the folks that we know that do like, that's why it's two thousand $2,500 each easily. I mean, if you're, if you're starting like into, you know, bylines and that kind of stuff, it can go up even more, but, um, there's just a lot of time that goes into it. And, you know, like I said, I think if you think about it as um, not as you're getting 100% of your time back, but say say it's, you get 70% of your time back, so you're still investing 30%, it still should be a positive equation. If you can just you know, sort of use an easy idea of this, like if you can get 2x the output and results and quality of work by outsourcing, and you save 70% of your time, like that's the, that's the, the margin that you create for yourself is it's not purely time savings. Um, but it is getting more results and, and more to work with for a, like a fraction of your time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think is the, where there's really the leverage. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, okay. Let's go to number eight. Uh, judging a content program based on individual pieces rather than this functioning body of work, um, you know, that 
needs to balance, of course, the short and the long term. Um, it's kind of like a funny thing, but uh, we do run into it. We see this, yeah. you know, um, it's kind of a headache. So I like, I know that a lot of work goes into every single piece of content. Like they're all thoughtful, um, mm -hmm. but it just, it has to play a role within an ecosystem. So like evaluating if your content program is working is really about you know, leading indicators and like having this sort of multiple views of seeing how it's all working. So you can kind of have this assessment of like, okay, like things are moving in the right direction. And like, here's how these channels are performing. Like it doesn't, you can like kind of silo them out to like get an idea. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, okay, the overall success here is never one piece of content. You're probably not going viral on any piece. It's more about like, are they bouncing around a lot and like hearing a lot and seeing you all over yada yada yeah and that's where um you know we've talked a bit and, and are creating some content on it now around um the way you measure the impact of a content program um you know it's not just pipeline and mrr as much as you know even i would love that that it's just sort of super clean like here it is um, but you know, there is, there's, you know, building an audience, there's the engagement aspect of it. Like you know, sort of what you're saying, like bouncing around, like time on the site that they're engaging through content. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, um, I think the, the best case scenario is that you have really great data down to the post level. Um, and you can pivot that however you want, you know, bunch it into different categories or topics and really get a lot of, you know, of engagement data and um, you know, even revenue data and all that stuff. But that's not how you judge, you know, you don't say, oh, well, these five generate the most revenue. So let's just do a bunch more like that. Uh, you don't let it like dictate it. You still understand, like you said, the, um, the nature of sort of the portfolio that you have and and the balance and, and everything that it brings um, and how they work together, I guess. And so you, you want that data and you want to understand that and you want to gain those learnings from it and, and build off of that, but you don't want to let that define it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think even when I've like audited content programs before we start um, and you see a couple of, of content pieces like driving conversions that the company's happy with mm -hmm. um it's it's rarely like oh we're gonna create a bunch more of of this but it like i think uh, for me like a more useful way of thinking about it is like how can i get more people to this like how can i create more journeys and like what journey did they create mm -hmm. to get here that led them to convert um and then it's like the story can kind of change where i can think about like kind of reverse engineering the, the buyer journey associated with that piece of content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where, you know, the appreciation for how it all works together comes into play that you're not trying to just replicate that, but you see the opportunity to say, okay, well now that I know 
sort of the journey or some of the things that lead into that, I can create more things that will sort of build an audience, you know, subscribe to our newsletter, any of that kind of stuff, knowing that I can then, you know, over time, you know, lead them to some of this other content that's really impactful. Um, and just, just in general, I think there's, um, even, you know, some of the, the guidance that we're working on around the different ways, like I said, audience and engagement and conversion and stuff to, to measure content performance. It's still, there's still some component of it that's immeasurable in that it's, um, just impacts the way people you know, brand affinity and, and all these other things that, um, that do that. And, you know, I, I think I've shared before, but probably a long time ago, just as I've met people, you know, since leaving Sprout in, in my career, like there's so many things I worked on. There's so many amazing things the marketing team did and the company did. And anytime people find out that I was involved in marketing, they were like, man, I just, I loved the image sizes guide <laughs> that you guys had. Like, you know, it was amazing. I used, I had a bookmarked. I used it all the time. Like it was so well used and well received that like, that's what they talked about. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that come with that. Like they just, they like the brand because it's helpful and, and all of that. And so, um, yeah, you, you can't in some ways just can't measure the way those things affect, you know, how, how you're perceived in the market and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, but we'll move on from, <laughs> from that, get into number nine. Cool. Number nine, I think is an extension of that point a little bit, which is just, yep. you know, fundamentally kind of misunderstanding ROI, which would be one of one example would be that, um, measuring it content by content, you know, here's what it cost me to build one piece. Why am I not generating more than that next month from that one piece, uh, type of outlook. And then, uh, and with that kind of misunderstanding leading indicators as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I think we <clears throat> ended up covering a bit of this. Um, but you know, I guess just to, to add a little bit more, um, I, I, I think you, uh, one of the points we had down here, I think is, is still worth adding. Um, say you've, you know, built up and you have 50,000, you know, organic monthly visits, which is great. And, you know, and you guys can look at your data and decide how many leads and how much revenue you got from that. And, um, you know, I think it's important just to understand that, like going from 50 a month to a hundred a month doesn't necessarily mean that everything moves in, in the same correlated way. And that's true, you know, for a lot of things like the, you can be extremely targeted, uh, with your advertising, you know, at first and spending 10 K a month. And the, as you kind of move, you tapped in fully to like that highest intent, best fit. And you start to have to move out into other targeting and ad types and channels to, to find more people you're going to have like the signal to noise ratio changes and you have sort of that inevitable, um, shift there. And so I think that's just going to happen as your content program grows too, is things won't move parallel, you know, entirely. And, and that's okay. That ties back to what we were just talking about and sort of 
the overall ways to measure and, and think about that. So, um, yeah, even just sort of a planning, you know, we're not necessarily right now as we're recording this in a planning season, but if you're listening to this kind of prepping for the next year or modeling growth or any of that kind of stuff, um, you know, that's definitely worth baking in something that doesn't necessarily just grow at the same rate, um, even with traffic. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot there for, for ROI and all that. I agree. Um, all right. I'm going to have us move on to our last and final point. Uh, number 10, which is, um, for whatever reason, kind of throwing, <laughs> throwing out everything, you know, about the buyer's journey when you create a piece of content. Um, again, I think this sort of ties back into maybe even bits of number eight, which is in you judging based on individual pieces. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, it's like, we'll create a piece of content and then like forget that there's probably going to be like necessary nurturing that happens to like lead them along mm -hmm. or get them to stay or get them to become loyal or just a general fan or <laughs> appreciate who you and your brand are. Um, and then sometimes it's even like an unwillingness that we'll see for teams to like create the rest of the nurturing ecosystem. So yeah. Yeah, on. absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, again, when you think about say again, the same example, 50,000 organic visits a month, and maybe you're converting 1% of those into free trial signups or demo requests or whatever. Like that's still such a massive amount of traffic you're generating that isn't doing that. And, you know, I think the, the lazy thing to do is just be like, oh, we'll just, you know, put a retargeting pixel on those pages and retarget them. What are you going to retarget them with? You know, sign up for free trial. So like maybe you, you get a little bit off that and, you know, if it works well, maybe that bumps it up to one and a half percent of that original 50K. And you're still talking about like tens of thousands of people. And they, you know, as we said before, like there's still positive brand interactions and like someone may come in, see something, leave, and, you know, now think they know about you. They know, you know, you exist. They think positively of you and that, you know, can build over time, but you have to, you know, be constantly thinking about that. Like you said, the, the buyer journey, where are they at? Like, we're so good about thinking about what's the intent of the search and how do we create content that matches that search intent? And it's just a matter of like going a step further and maybe it's not even SEO content, it's, it's other types, but just really thinking about, okay, why did someone come consume this content and what, what do they need next? And, you know, obviously you can do interviews and surveys and things that are beyond just your assumptions there, but um, and it's so critical, you know, once you get past the point of like, can we get traffic and can we get the right traffic? Like you have to go a step further and really, um, force yourself to think about every single day, every single month. There are a lot of people coming here and we're not gaining anything from it. And, and there's, we're not providing them with the next step that they would potentially very gladly take if they knew it was there. Um, and so that could be different CTAs, 
uh, that can be just better internal linking to better resources or recommended, um, you know, reading or content, or, you know, we've talked about like embedding resources into the content. Um, so instead of just a CTA for your podcast, like actually put in a clip or an episode that's relevant to the post and now they know about your podcast and so on. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a ton here and I think this is what really, uh, becomes a huge lever for business impact ultimately is just not ignoring the fact that you have a lot of traffic that's coming in. Uh, and it, whatever, you use smaller number, 2000 a month. Mm-hmm. It's still like, I, I this is kind of a tangent at this point, but, <laughs> um, I think that it's extremely helpful to visualize people as people when you start to get into bigger numbers, um, with a website. And so when you think about, say, say you're getting 50,000, um, uh, people a month, that is like, I don't know. I don't know if there's any baseball stadiums that fit 50,000. I think most of them are 30 to high forties. So you're talking about like, you literally can't fit all these people in the stands of a baseball stadium every single month, you know, or, you know, you get into bigger numbers. You could think, well, this is like, you know, whatever, five Rose Bowl stadiums worth of people or whatever. But even 2000, like imagine 2000 people lined up to try to get in somewhere. Like that's a massive amount of people, you know? And so I think that's helpful at times to just sort of like force yourself to think about all of these people as actual people in one place doing one thing. And that is on your site. And if that was true in person, like you'd be going you know, all over the place trying to figure out like, oh my gosh, all these people are here for our company. What do we do? And you know that it's not the same thing. And so, um, sorry, a bit of a tangent, but I I think there's just a lot there that um, if you really force yourself, I think that opens up a ton of opportunity beyond just sign up for our free trial. And when they don't, then they don't. Yeah, I agree. I think the I know we usually position this around SaaS, but like to your point of 2000 people, like, you know, for, for an agency like ours, or if you're service-based or something like that, like that is an, that's an astronomical number, especially given like how high the odds are that they're looking for an agency and they're probably just narrowing yeah. down. Like I don't, you don't often accidentally end up on an agency website. Um, and there's a number of <laughs> right. other uh, service-based businesses, um, in the B2B space that it's like, oh yeah, like we've got their attention. Let's keep it. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Well, I think that covers it. I, um, uh, you know, end rant, I guess, uh, <laughs> on, on that one, but, um, yeah, I guess I'm just passionate about it. Cause I know that it's such an impactful thing, um, and, and really can make a big difference. So, uh, anyway, uh, hopefully if, if you're still listening, this was impactful for you. Uh, I'm just kind of running through, um, 10 of the most common mistakes that we run into, uh, with, you know, content marketing and SaaS companies. So, uh, with that, we're going to wrap up, uh, check out any of our, uh, prior episodes, uh, 10speed.io slash podcast, and be sure to like, and subscribe to get any future episodes. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks, Derek. Yeah. Thanks.